So uh, this morning is May 5th. Oh goodness, it's Cinco de Mayo. And uh, visit Taco Cabana. It'll be a whole new experience today. Michael says salsa verde. Amen. Truly, truly, I say unto you, salsa verde. So today's message then is called Dreams with Bows. Amen. Dreams with Bows. We're going to begin our message today in the second epistle to Peter. I want to share with you the first chapter and 19th verse. Say there when you are there. We'll start in the 18th verse. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountains. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What could be more certain than the word of God, friends? And yet Peter says he has the word of the prophets made more certain. How can that happen? How can the word of God become more certain to you? Well, Peter grew up hearing the Word of God. He knew of the Word of God. He was taught of the Word of God. But when he saw it working in his midst, it became even more certain to him. Friends, we're not telling you of something that we heard about in a distant land, something that we once read about. The Gospel that we preach is something that we have experienced. It is a light that is shining in the dark places of our lives. And driving it out. Somebody say amen. Yeah. Proverbs 25.2 teaches a principle. It says it is to the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. When you're in darkness, you look for a light. I came home from Africa and my wife had rearranged our house. This is a little ritual we have where I have to walk in faith in my own bedroom. And I woke up jet fagged in the middle of the night. And were it not for the shining beacon upon my coffee pot, I never would have found the sink in the bathroom. When you're in a dark place, just a pinhole of light makes all the difference in the world. I used to have a Casio G-Shock watch, and a friend of mine turned off the light when I was in a very dark place. And that little Casio G-Shock watch had a little illuminator on it. And I could find my way through the maze, the little labyrinth, with just the light that is there. Our God has hidden things in your life. His glory is concealed to the rest of the world. And as we began to seek Him, as we began to earnestly look for His truth, He reveals it. He shows us to be kings by the noble desires He places in your heart. Some things were veiled to you at one point in your life. Brother Zeke didn't understand what it was to rest in the arms of the Savior. But oh my goodness, once he found out. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to God. But the things that he has revealed to us and our children forever. When the living God reveals something to you, you never have to let it go. You cling to it. You treasure it. It begins to set the direction of your life. It doesn't have to be an all-encompassing revelation that teaches you every bowl of wrath and every lampstand and every detail of the book of Revelation. You simply need a pinhole of light that pierces the darkness of your understanding and shows you the Word of God 
made more certain. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. So I had such a revelation. The living God began to speak to me about a purpose in my life. A direction that I was supposed to have. And I began to treasure it. I began to cling to it. How many of you have failed at something that you've tried? Come on now. Who hasn't? There's a quote from Theodore Roosevelt that I found again this morning. Rediscovered it in my own library. He was the 26th American president, a Republican, a hero in the Spanish-American War, and the author of the original Square Deal. He says it this way, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done better. No, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, the man who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again because there is no effort without erring or shortcoming. A man who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself for a worthy cause. A man who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails at the least, fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never knew victory or defeat. You have to understand, friends, the world is trapped in apathy. They sit in their darkness, not daring to even try. They sit on their salvation in their neatly padded pews, comforted by their stained glass and steeples, never having dared anything for the kingdom. Content to sit in the sound of church bells rather than setting up rescue shops at the foot of hell where the wars actually occur. Yes, yes. But once you have a revelation of your responsibility, once you look into the eyes as Stephen recently did and see an African child who thinks you're his daddy, everything changes. They'll be putting a roof on a building here shortly. A building that this church, that you good people, in the name of Jesus, bought. The children will no longer live in a cattle pen fit for animals. They'll have their own rooms, their own kitchen, their own latrines, and they will know that they have their very own Lord who loves them in a personal way. Let the people of God say amen. amen. This is pure and faultless religion and it comes in response to a revelation. It will not work for you to simply embrace God from a distance as head knowledge. Somehow, somewhere, the heavens have to touch you in a very personal way. Growing up in a Christian home is a wonderful thing. It may give you a knowledge of the scriptures which are able to save you when you put your trust in them. But even growing up in a Christian home does not do the trick, so to speak. At some point in your life, the living God pierces the darkness of your very own heart with a revelation that demands a response. Your response to that, your effort on His cause, it's not your perfection that is rewarded. It is the faith that has prompted your effort that pleases Him. Oh, without faith it is impossible to please the living God. Hebrews 11, 6 says this, and yet we believe that if we simply have the right creed, He's happy. I'm here to tell you He's not happy. To know the right creed simply makes you more responsible. Yes. But when the revelation hits you squarely in the heart, it ought to move your feet towards faithful action. Amen. When we have a revelation, friends, when we begin to get an idea 
of a call. It changes everything. God has called us to be kings. We should search out His dreams and His visions for our lives. Let us look at Matthew 16 and we will see how revelation is born in our hearts. Are you guys with me this morning? I hope you didn't come to sleep. You're going to be disappointed. I'm one of those loud preachers. In Matthew 16, let us pick up on the 13th verse. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Caesarea Philippi has cut in the mountainside grottos to different gods. I've stood in this very place. The three tributaries of the Jordan are here. It's the headwaters of the Jordan. And it was a popular place for worship. There was a temple to Caesar Augustus whose name meant I am God manifest. There was a temple to Pan who was something of a Mardi Gras like God. And it's where also the very gates of hell were said to stand. See, a river disappears into rocks and appears to go under the mountains. And to the ancient world, it looked very much as if the river went down into Sheol or the gates of hell itself. So people would sacrifice their children there. Much like they do in the city of Houston at Planned Parenthood. And if the gods accepted the sacrifice, then they saw blood in the water as the rushing water squeezed into the narrow rocky caverns. If the gods did not accept their sacrifice, they saw no blood and they did it again. Do you think maybe the reason we sacrifice our children at Planned Parenthood is because they don't have to see the blood? You know, if you can get them to simply look at an ultrasound, they don't do it. They can simply see a baby's heart wound. They will not do it. A revelation changes everything. When you see life for what it is, when you see what's at stake, suddenly our actions have meaning. Our words have meaning. Certain things become beneath us and other things become required of us. You feel compelled by what you now know. All saints, children of the living God, what compels you? What do you now know that changes everything? This goes beyond a bumper sticker on our car and a neat Christian t-shirt. What do you now know that is like fire shut up in your bones and you can't help but tell what has changed the whole direction of your life? What has caused you to turn around 180 and run in a new direction? If you do not have this thing, you do not have Christ. You may know about Him like I know who Bo Jackson is. He was 240 pounds and he ran the first 4-240 the world had ever seen. But I never met the man. You may have known all about Jesus, but if the revelation of him did not so fill your life, then it caused a complete 180, a running in a new direction. If that knowledge did not compel you to a different action, then you don't know my Jesus. <coughs> Oh, I know him, but butts are for goats, friend. Like an old cigarette, throw it away. It's time to adopt a new attitude. It's time for your knowledge of Christ to compel you to live like Christ. In the name of Jesus, Peter gets a revelation. They said, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, 
replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Don't you love my Jesus? Anybody love Jesus? Yeah. Come on, somebody love Jesus. Yeah. Jesus was not content to know what everyone else said. He doesn't just want to know what the masses say. He will turn his attention on you and demand of you the revelation that you have. He says, but what about you, Gabriel? What do you say? See, the living God is not going to ask you on that day. He's not going to say, what did people say about me? He's going to ask you about the revelation of his truth in your life. Friends, we can argue about how an apple tastes. But we can never argue about how it tasted to me. There's a very personal revelation of Jesus. Yes, yes. A very personal compelling truth that you must get down in your spirit. And if you don't have it, you have to be bold enough to ask for it. Don't you settle for a tribal knowledge of Jesus. He's worth so much more. Yes. It's not enough to know about him. I need to be known by him. Yes. I need to search him out. I need him to search me out. I want to be filled the very essence of who he is and when that happens friends it demands a response it demands a changed life one little salvation prayer in my life one little not so neat sinner's prayer oh lord change me set my whole life in a new direction and let in me a wake of lives with changed direction because the revelation that he would change a man demanded a response. Peter is here and he feels this question very personally. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered. Praise God for a man who's bold enough to answer. Tell me, did Peter sometimes get it wrong? Yes. Is Peter known for getting things wrong in the Bible? Yes. He rejected Jesus. He's rebuked by Jesus. Good Lord, he cut the ear off of a man just before Jesus died for that man's salvation. And yet, Peter was not a poor, timid soul who refused to try. He stepped out and he proclaimed what God had birthed in his heart. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you about by man. Yeah. Hear me, saints. If all you know about Jesus is what a preacher told you, it is insufficient. Right. Yeah. If all you know about Jesus is what other men told you, you are pulling up short. Amen. The living God will deposit from heaven right into your life. And there is no excuse that he will accept for accepting something less. Well, they said about you this, and they said about you that. But what do you say about me? Friends, your life is going to say something about your knowledge of Jesus. If you think he's a good teacher among many, your life will show that. If you think that he's an exalted religious figure that has little importance in your daily affairs, your life will show it. We live in a church world that seems to think that their revelation about Jesus is to make them rich while they live like pigs. 
I would like to tell you that the living God did not come to take sinners and make them good men. He came to take dead men and make them live. Are you alive in Christ or do you simply know about Him? Are you alive in Christ? Is His revelation in your heart? In what way is it compelling you? In what way does it push you? Is His wind in your sails? Do you have a direction from God? See, because our God leads. And he expects us to follow. So where is he leading you? Oh, well, I just know about him and I know his good things. Then you have not pressed into who he is. Because when you find out who he is, just like Moses at the burning bush, you will find out who you are. Saints, when we learn who we are in the presence of God, it changes everything. You will never find a prince from Saudi Arabia digging in his dumpster with the cats and the rats. Because he's a prince and he knows it. Why go eat with the rats when you can have lobster at the table? How many of us don't know who we are and we're digging in the dumpsters of the internet? We're digging in the dumpsters of entertainment. We're eating the junk food of Christianity and calling it the king's table. I say no in the name of Jesus. Amen. This saint says no. He called you to more. He called you higher. He called you to better. He wants to fill your life with purpose so that it has meaning. You were born for a purpose. He prepared good work in advance for you to do. And if you don't do it, it doesn't get done. Before my son was born, we prayed that God would cause us to conceive. And while my wife was yet pregnant with him, we prayed that he would have certain characteristics, certain qualities not found in his father. As the boy grew, we began to see the fruit of the years of our prayer. One night in an open vision, the living God told my wife, my son's path was determined. Friends, your path that God has laid out for you is determined. The question is, will you have a noble heart that searches for it and finds it? And when it's revealed to you, will you easily abandon it? Or will you fight the powers of hell for it? Yeah. Yesterday afternoon, while riding in a car, I remembered a message that God gave me more than 10 years ago. That's awkward. I don't know where I put my keys yesterday, Charlie. Okay. But I'm supposed to remember a message from 10 years ago. He gave me a name. And so I began to look it up. It was December 28, 2003. It was called The Dreamer. And as I began to look at the message, I turned it on. I listened to it. It's good to have a digital library when ginkgo biloba is failing you. We were meeting in the living room. The living God had told me, life-changing ministries is supposed to look a certain way. I want you to focus on one life at a time. I want you to care about that one as if they were a thousand. I want you to build the kingdom in them. And you know what happened? Very first thing that happened was those closest to me abandoned the work. What a Christmas present, right? 
You ever read in Psalm 27, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will never forsake me. Oh, it's an easy scripture to quote. It's a whole lot more fun to get to live it out. Our church shrunk to beneath 10 people. Look around you. Are there more than 10 people here today? I have the word of God made more certain in my life. Sitting around with less than 10 people crammed into a living room. A few of you are still from that original number, David. The Lord spoke to me. told me to quit whining. To sell my kitchen table and my workout equipment. And build out a garage and put 50 chairs in it. <clears throat> Lord, I don't know whether you've been watching what's happening here. Your word says that you consider mankind and everything that they do. We fit on one sofa. What on earth would I need to build out a garage for? And by the way, Jesus, I don't recall reading in the Gospels that you invited anyone to a service in a garage. But it's awkward. You can get away with a Bible study in a living room, but a church service in a garage, that just crosses some weird boundaries, right? He was not impressed with my plea. So we sold everything that was not tied down. And Jennifer and I hung sheetrock on a ceiling. Was that fun? There is no special working like the frustrations of working with your spouse. I'm infinitely patient with you. Full of mercy and kind if I work with you, JJ. But I expect Jennifer to know how to hang sheetrock at 3 o'clock in the morning on the ceiling above her head. These trials are amazing. It began to occur to me that our lives are laced with many failures. And even those failures have a purpose. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4. Say there when you were there. In the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians in the sixth verse. For God who said let the light shine out of the darkness made his light shine in our hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The same God that spoke into the darkness with his light and changed everything. Will speak a revelation into your life. He will give you a word from Him that changes your direction. It changes everything. Amen. Now if the Lord tells you, if you hear Him say to you, you will be a youth pastor. If you hear Him say to you, you will be a pastor of a church or an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or teacher. If He speaks to you and says something, what do you expect to happen? Oh, the Lord said we have all these neat little cliche type things. Oh, if the Lord ordered it, he'll pay for it. I found out that he pays for it through you. <laughs> oh, well, if the Lord said it, it'll happen. Yes, but this ignores a great deal between point A and point B. I admire a faith that says, I'm standing at point A, and God has said me, and what's between the two is immaterial. And our pastor preached about it, and I appreciate it. But having lived in the distance between those two points, I know that it's not often that easy. So the living God speaks to you something that changes your whole life. And you expect it to happen. But we have this treasure 
in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Oh my goodness, friends. This is the distance between A and B. This is the gut-wrenching tenacity. What the book of Revelation calls patient endurance on the part of the saints. So I began to listen to the message. I listened to the date 12-28-03. And I began to praise the church of six or seven people. And encourage them that I had just gotten off the phone with a friend. A friend who was going to promote revival in Israel. He had a ministry name. He was set. His face like flint. He was going to go after it. And we were going to support it. And the week earlier, the church had written its very first check. $500 for the founding of an orphanage. Are these noble goals? Are they the kind of things that the living God would speak to a man? And yet we stand here today and neither one of them were ever actually done. How does that happen? That is the distance between A and B. God sheds a revelation in your heart, but when it becomes difficult, do you stick to it? When it becomes less popular, do you stick to it? When your own heart condemns you of failure, do you finish what you started? Or are you among those that shrink back from the call? Simply declare a ceasefire and begin to glory in what you have or have done in previous years. See, the living God changes everything when He speaks to you. You know what's required for you to get from point A to point B? Unyielding obedience. You know what you most certainly will not have? Perfection. I stood that day and began to recount so many of my failures. I don't know what I was thinking. The people didn't need reminders. I said at that time that I was six feet tall. I think I lied because I'm actually about a half inch short. 200 pounds of failure. I'm here to tell you today I'm an even bigger failure. <laughs> 254 pounds of squealing flesh. I've tried more and failed more since then. But I've also learned more. It is not about our success. It's about our perseverance that the world notices. Do you really think the orphans care very much if we tried and failed something the year before? They care that we're still trying and they're being fed. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. We have this false humility sometimes. We, as Christians, say, oh, we're sinners and anything that we have came from the Lord and apart from the Lord, there's nothing good in us. And all these things are scriptural terms. But what we really mean to say is, I would like to present to you humility so that you do not see the obvious pride in my life. 
No, after you. No, no, no. After you, and neither one will ever walk through the door. It's a strange sort of false humility that encourages apathy. I would like to tell you right now, I failed at a great many things, and I probably will tomorrow whether I want to or not. If you're any different than that, then meet me after the service and you teach me for a while. And knowing that I'm a failure, I still believe that there is a revelation that has pierced the darkness of my life that changes everything. So I don't shy away from the chance to step at the plate and swing. I actually believe that the Lord is looking for people that can look past their weakness, look past their failure, persevere and say, Lord, it's the ninth inning and there are two outs and we still need three runs and the bases are loaded. Put me at the plate, coach. I think that the Lord is looking for the man that believes God is bigger than his weakness. The man that believes that God takes the lowly things, the ignoble things, and confounds the wisdom of the wise. Why does God let you fail? Because if He gave you success immediately, pride would go straight to your head. And where would the persevering faith be? Today you stand led by a man who's fallen on his face so many times it's surprising there's still a nose on it. Okay. If you were any different than I asked you, how many times did you try? The road to ministry is a difficult one. Anybody who has ever truly embarked on it has been resisted by the powers of hell itself. It's easy to stand back and hurl bombs. It's easy to stand back and say what you would have done. But the thing is, friends, the better question is what are you doing? Is your life going to matter? Have you set out so intentionally for Jesus that when your life is over, it will matter? I'm a pastor. I've been to a lot of funerals. And I'm going to tell you most of them are filled with liars. They will tell you how wonderful that a man is that they hate it. They do it all of the time. And they hire a pastor who never even met the man to assure you that he's in glory. Because nobody can bear the thought that he's actually in hell. And if he's in hell, what will that say about them? Oh, you should come to a funeral that Life Changing Ministries does sometimes. It's never boring. The best thing we can do is tell the truth. We're going to move past 1 Corinthians. I quoted it to you anyway. Go to the 4th chapter. 4th chapter and 1st verse. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Would you say if the living God let you in on something that only the heavens knew, something that kings search out and He told you, that that would require you to prove faithful over it? Amen. Oh, the American church is the worst. We're sure that because we know a thing, we're entitled to everything. We will sit there and look a Chinese Christian in the face that has been tortured for the gospel, who's had his fingernails pulled out, been starved, been beaten, been persecuted, and say God would never beat his bride, get ready for the rapture. It's our audacity is amazing. But anybody who has ever received something from heaven knows that you have to prove faithful over what he's given you. 
And if there has to be a proving faithful, the question then becomes, what do you have to do to prove faithful? I'm going to suggest to you that you have to stay in the ring. You don't have to win. You don't have to land every punch. You have to refuse to quit. You have to refuse to change direction. You have to refuse to let up or shut up or back up. You have to stay on the task He gave you. Did Peter fail? Yes, many times. But he finished his life building the church that Jesus told him to build. When your life is over, failure will only define it if you quit. You tell me the separation of the sheep and goats. How many sheep's failures were chronicled? Not one. Because they tried. The living God will give you victory if you give Him your wholehearted effort. If you fail to try, you're a failure already. I'm telling you that Jesus is worthy of more than our lip service. We have been entrusted with the secret things of God. Now is the season where we get to prove faithful. Amen. Somebody else say amen. Amen. What is this? A long bow. We have a whole generation that knows about these because they've been watching Lord of the Rings and Hobbits. There was a time when this was the most advanced military weapon the world had ever seen. You didn't have to get close enough to stab somebody with a spear, didn't have to hit them with a rock, or try to get a flint knife close to their throat. You could actually do it from here to the back of the room. It was nice. These were the ancient snipers. And when you look at a bow like this, look how close the string is to the actual handle. That's amazing, isn't it? This one was made by a craftsman in this church. It's a funny thing. It occurred to me that the calling is much like a bow. The Lord speaks something and it's right there up next to the handle where you can see it. He spoke to you and said you're going to be a worship leader. How old were you? 16, 17? 17 years old. We're going to read about another 17-year-old boy here in just a minute. At 17, a worship leader. Man, you can see it. The string can see the handle. The handle can see the string. Surely it's just about to happen. How powerful is a bow if we don't draw this string? How far will that arrow go if we don't draw this string? If we're shooting at somebody who's trying to hurt your family, JJ, is this far enough? Is this far enough? How far do you want it to go? But you have to understand the further we pull that string from the handle, the further it will feel like you are from your calling. It turns out that this proving faithful time period, this drawing back from what God has actually said so that you can build a life that is worthy of the high call of God on it, is discouraging to some. And if you don't get an eternal perspective, you miss an all-encompassing truth. The drawing back and the proving faithful is really the gaining the strength necessary to hit the target. You see, the things that God spoke to me in 1993 in God's eyes were as close as the strength is because He sees the end from the beginning. But as He began to shape my life, to draw my life back from the very call that He said would be there so that I could prove faithful, so that I could show Him patient endurance on the part of the saints. I fell under the strain of the drawing. I began to flop around and flail and whine and squeal. 
Lord, what you said would happen is not happening. At times I began to lash out at the people around me. It's not my fault. It's got to be Patricia's. And if it's not Patricia's, maybe it was Teach's. It's not Teach's. Who's here? Who's escaped? It's Cody. It was Cody's fault. When God was simply arranging the details of my life to build the character necessary in me to finish what I started because most never do. Say, but we're talking about decades. You ever read about Noah, my friend? You ever read about Abraham, my friend? God deals in centuries. And we are so sure that He's into our instant gratification. I'm here to tell you today, if you feel far from the place He told you would be, that doesn't mean it's over. If you feel very far from the end result, it may just be that He is giving you a chance to gain the necessary strength to complete the task. Turn with me to the book of Genesis. Are y'all done? No. Good. I feel as if I'm starting to hit my prime. In Genesis 37, this would be as good a place as any to start. How old were you, Matthew? 17. That's one and a seven, right? I'm not getting too old to hear. <laughs> 17. Matthew, I'm curious. Were you 18 when you began as a worship leader? Were you 19? Were you 20? Matthew, how many years went by before you were the worship leader of the church? My goodness. More than two decades, almost three. Is Matthew a failure? Do y'all abhor what Matthew does? Do you leave here with your hands over your ears going, I just can't stand that guy? You know? It must be that in those few decades of having to stand behind other worship leaders, being looked over, being forgotten, being told even at times that you don't have what it takes, makes you become very secure in what God did and did not say to you. How important is it that you know what God has said to you? It is so important that God will allow you to experience the criticism and the scrutiny of those who are around you. Oh, why did I not get an amen? I can see it in your hearts. You know what I'm saying. Have you experienced the criticism and the scrutiny of those around you? Yes. If you have, say amen. Yes. How about that? This is everybody's secret. I'm going to tell you the truth. It's always been this way. I had a good pastor. He experienced the scrutiny of the men who went before him. And I'm sure that in the generation before that, they experienced the same thing. It's something of a rite of passage for your closest friends to not support what you're doing. This gives you the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to find out whether it's really born of God or was simply something you heard men say. How important is it that you hear from God, friends? It's everything. Are you in Genesis 37? Yes. You know what? I'm not. <laughs> but I'm getting there. It's a new Bible. My pages are stuck. Joseph, a young man of... 17. That's a good age. Is there anybody in here 17? 
Raise your hand if you're 17. Wow, we're going to have to promote one of you or take a year away. Anybody 16? Judah. Judah is 16. One more year and we get to sell you to Ishmaelite traders. <laughs> Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. It's always the little brother, isn't it? Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Did Jesus say, woe to you when all men speak well of you? Did he say that? Am I making it up or did he say, Patricia said yes. yes. Did Jesus say, woe to you when all men speak well of you? Yes. 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 Jesus said it? Yes. Then why are we surprised when people don't have a kind word to say about us? If the words of Jesus are true, then his favor in your life will make other people uncomfortable. Let me ask you. These men who are uncomfortable with it, who are they to him? They're brothers. What do we call each other in the church? Brothers. They were family, friends. They were blood family. And you know what else they were? They were the family of God. What a perfect testing ground. Little Joseph is about to find out whether or not what is in him is actually born of God or not. And those who are closest to him will be the grinding stone in his life. Do you know why? Because they're the closest to him. Have you ever been in traffic and somebody gave you a one-finger salute? Now, you know what I'm talking about. I can't do this. We're in church, but you can read between the lines. You don't think much of it. You just drive off. Unless you're armed, and then maybe something more comes out. But, if you walked into the church and the person sitting next to you said, what are you doing here? And gave you a big dimple-fisted one-finger salute. That would be different, wouldn't it? Now we're beginning to understand why the devil likes to use friendly fire. It's more effective. It hurts more. Those who should help heal you are actually wounding you. And I'm going to tell you it's universal. You can't make anyone the bad guy. It might be me who does it next. We don't even mean to do it. It turns out that if this one gets a revelation I don't have, I might not have the revelation. Prophets grow up from little boys, friends. Great teachers grow up from men who know almost nothing. This is the way of things. And the last people to recognize what God is doing in someone is usually those who are closest to them. This is why the whole village of Nazareth missed out on who Jesus was. They needed a revelation from heaven because to them he was just a little boy who grew up here. This friendly fire is a part of the ball game. It's a part of the drawing of the bowstring. It will let you find out is the favor of my father or the favor of my brothers most important to me. As Frank Frangipani said, he will baptize you in the criticism of men to inoculate you from the praise of men. Anybody in here want that baptism? If you're called of God, you'll get it whether you want it or not. 
Now Israel loved Joseph. You found out they hated him. Verse 5. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. You ever wonder why he keeps preaching to them? Because he's got a revelation. He can't shut up. He can't let up. He can't back up. He can't help it. It's like fire shut in his bones. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. At least it was a dream laced with humility. <laughs> Can you decide to have a certain kind of dream? Well, I don't know. You might be able to watch TV all day and night, eat a pizza, and have a certain kind of dream. But you certainly can't decide to have a dream that came from God. Whose will is being expressed in this dream? Is it the will of Joseph? It's the will of God. The fact that Joseph gets to experience it. You know, let's get back to our bowl here for a minute. Joseph, your brothers are like sheaves of grain. And they're going to bow down to you. I bet he walked a little taller when he told them that dream, huh? <laughs> I just heard from heaven, Elliot. And all you, that's right, you, are going to bow down to me. When you spell my name, do it with a big I and yours with a little you. You hear me? But then comes the drawing process. And oh, how far Joseph looks for the fulfillment of that dream. This is a chance to find out whether the dream was real. It's a chance to find out whether the arrow will really hit the target or whether it was all short. You know, if you don't get the preparation you need, you never finish where you should get. And if you're always preparing, you will shoot right through the target. It's God's design to release you in the right moment. It's God we do not want. I was a baby born early. I was born almost so early that I still have... No laughter. Physical defects from it. My skin doesn't stretch like it should. That's amazing, I know. I was born almost three months early. Had it been four months, I couldn't be alive. But what happens if you're born in the 10th or 11th month? That's a whole other kind of problem, isn't it? There is a day when you are to be released. Every man of God has a different gestation period. And it is up to the living God to show us when is our release. Look what happens to Joseph when he told his father, verse 10, as well as his brothers. His father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Now, who was Joseph's father? Come on, church, speak to me. Israel, is Dustin the only man in here that knows this, or have you gotten scared because I have a bow in my hand? <laughs> Who was Joseph's father? That's right, he said, I'm your father. Like Darth Vader. Why do you think Israel kept the matter in mind? Because Israel had once been Jacob. He had once been a deceiver. He had once been a trickster, a supplanter. He had once been a liar. And look what God did with his life. So while his flesh immediately disagreed, he did recognize something. 
He recognized God as able to take the ordinary and do the extraordinary. Maybe I should keep this matter in mind. Any man truly called of God who has truly been through the process. Oh, they may slip and discourage someone who's in route, but they stop short of killing their vision. And they do because they remember that they too had a beginning. Friends, where did you start? Where are you in the process? Where is the bowstring in your life? Are you the unique one that fell from the sky that did not have to go through the proving ground? I stand here more than two decades after the promise was given to me, and I'm not sure the string's been released yet. Why don't we do this? Let's skip right to the time that they sell him out. Pick verse 17. They have moved on from here, the angel, the man answered. I've heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to do what? Dream. What is it they don't like about it? They don't like the dreams he has. They don't like the way the Father has favored him. Have you ever seen somebody step up and pray for somebody in a wheelchair? You can answer me. Have you ever seen that? Raise your hand if you've seen that. Okay, put your hand down. No, Lima, put your hand down if the person got out of the wheelchair. Okay, so the rest of you that did not see the person get out of the wheelchair, were you tempted to think, what was that guy doing? Who does he think he is? I thought he was going to pray for him and get out of there. Was he thinking he's Jesus? Oh, he missed God, didn't he? Did you go home and discuss all the things the guy must have done wrong? But you know what you weren't doing? You weren't praying for the guy to get out of the wheelchair, were you? See, this is the way of things. Those with a revelation from God try, and they often fail while they're trying. Those without a revelation sit back and criticize. Oh, church, that we could be free of a critical spirit. That we could simply join in with those who are trying to do something. It's as D.L. Moody said, a woman raised her hand in one of his meetings, and she said, Sir... I detest your methods of evangelism. He said, I agree with you, madam. I detest them too. How do you do it? Oh, well, sir, I, I don't. Then I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it, ma'am. Sit down and be quiet. <laughs> it's high time that those who are sitting on their hands get out of the way of those who are trying to put their hands into practice for the king. Amen. Do you want to do something for Jesus, Sam? that dreamer. They hated him because he dared to dream that God could do something with his life. Our nation was shaken in its very core in the 60s when one man stood up and said, I had a dream. It had to do with men who were judged by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. Oh, friends, as a Christian, what if you were judged by the content of your character rather than your superficial doctrine? Character is what you do when no one is looking. It's the hours you spend in prayer because you're deeply concerned about direction. It's the labor of love that you are not rewarded for. It's the years without visible 
ground because you sowed the seed in faith. In 2003, I preached a message like this to six people. One of them was a raving drug addict. He took cracked rock. He cut it with lemon juice in a syringe and put it straight into his veins. I felt like a failure while I was preaching it. But God is bigger than our hearts. And if the revelation you have stands the test of time, then God gets glory. And it's not because of your perfection. It's because of His power to cause you to succeed in spite of yourself. Life Changing Ministries was in more than 20 nations last year. But 10 years ago, we were struggling to preach to a handful of drug addicts. Last year, we gave away more than $100,000 to widows and orphans and missionaries. But in the first seven years, the Stevens were the largest financial contributors to the church. Oh, my friends, you don't know where you'll end up if you quit before you really get started. The kingdom is about patient endurance. It is not about instant gratification. We're in a day when men look for titles. They look for promotions. They look for accolades. And they want them without any real achievement. But the living God requires patient endurance that brings achievement. And they must far precede any accolades. This shows that you believe He exists. That you earnestly believe He will reward those who seek Him. In short, this is what faith is. Faith is not the 30 seconds you work yourself into a frenzy to do something. It is the 20 years you set your face like flint after the thing He spoke to you. What has He spoken to you? And what have you done with it? Turn with me to Genesis 39. In Genesis 39, we see what it looks like to prove faithful in tribulation. This is 39, the last half of verse 9, or verse 7. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. A problem we all have, yes? I mean, this is the epitome of our struggles, right Isaac? It's well built and handsome. Oh, church, it's not enough that his father has favored him. It's not enough that he has an all-surpassing revelation. He had to be good-looking, too. Could that make people hate you? <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, for every popular kid in school that all of them throng to, there's a whole different group of people that just hate them because they're popular. Hoping the captain on the football team throws the winning touchdown and then there's half of the others that are hoping he drops the pass. This is the way of things. There are kingdoms that are warring against each other. Joseph could be hated for no other reason than the Lord loved him. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. How old is he? Come on now. How old was Matthew? 17. Say that number out loud. 17. This is the height of your physical restraint. No? 
<laughs> this is when you have all of those hormones completely mastered, right? This is the guy that you trust with all levels of physical temptation. The 17-year-old, right? That's laughable, isn't it? Because we know what 17 is. 17 is fit to put a gun in his hand and go kill the enemy. Because all that testosterone's got to go somewhere. But those of us with daughters don't want them around our houses. So Joseph is well-built and handsome. I can feel my little girl at 17. Oh, Joseph. And Potiphar's wife has noticed. Is this not one of the larger temptations that has caused men of God to fail through the years? How many men of God that truly love Jesus, that truly received a revelation, that truly embarked on something for God, fall to this temptation? Do I have to recount their names and their secretaries' names? I come from a town that has memorials and abandoned buildings to the monumental failures in this area. Sold out for the flesh. As the bowstring began to get drawn back, do you think Joseph could have believed God had forgotten him? Worse yet, that God was punishing him. Maybe still worse yet, that God never said it and was punishing him. Oh, anybody that's ever been in the grinding stone of proving faithful will recognize the devil's schemes in the words that I'm speaking. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against you? God. Joseph knew who he was. He knew that he was the man that the sheaves of wheat would bow down to. He knew that he was the man that the sun, the moon, and the stars would bow down to. He could not debase the only thing he had left that was of value. Did he have his friends? Did he have his family? Did he have his homeland? Did he have his previous job or wealth? The only thing that he had in this place in his life was the promise of God. And he valued it. What do you have that competes with the promise of God? Perhaps now we know why the Lord said, Give it away and come and follow me. When all you have is what he will make of you. You treasure it. The drawing of the bowstring is one of the great many paradoxes. The further you get from the fulfillment, the closer you actually are to the fulfillment. It's a little bit like he who loses his life will find it for my sake. What are you willing to go through for Jesus, friends? What has he deposited to you that is so like pearls? You will fight off the pigs and offer it to him for his crown at the end of your life. Joseph said, how could I sin against God like this? Yes. He gets to a place where she has seized him by his garment. All the world is salacious. It is tenacious. It's a trap 
It's a pit that men fall into. How many of you are being held by the corners of your garment? Joseph tore his garment from his body and ran literally wearing the promise of God only. I know what it is to lose a house. I know what it is to give away my cars. I know what it is to lose all of my friends and most of my family and have only the promise of God. And I'm here to tell you it's enough. It is enough. Say it with me. It is enough. The promise of God will be enough for me. Oh, when this is a real statement to you, you cannot be deterred. You're a member of the fellowship of the unashamed friends. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished and done with low living. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chintzy giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I now live by presence, lean by faith, loved by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. Come on, saints, are you a member of the fellowship of the unashamed? My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few. My guide reliable, my mission clear, I cannot be bought. Hear me, church, I cannot be bought. Oh, the devil is trying to buy your calling with sensuality. He's trying to buy your calling with the pride of life. He's trying to buy your calling with fear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, looted away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the fact of sacrifice. Hesitate in the presence of adversity. Negotiate at the table of the enemy or ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. Why? I am a disciple of Christ Jesus. I must give until I drop and preach until all know. And when my time is up, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What will your life say? Do you value Jesus more than the pleasures of Egypt? Joseph did. How about the 40th chapter? Look at the 12th verse. Joseph is interpreting some dreams. He's been put into prison for his righteousness sake. By the way, Psalm 105 has an interesting thing. It's Psalm 105, somewhere around verse 17. God Himself brought Joseph to Egypt. I would like to encourage you if you've had a trial, if the bowstring is being drawn back, if your own father didn't see value in your ministry, or your closest friends turned their back on you. Oh, it can be so tempting to blame them. Spent too many years there myself. 
Psalm 105 really is the king. Around the 17th verse, Psalm 105 says, I brought Joseph to Egypt, and the eye is God. I put him in shackles, and I saved many lives there. It was God's will to bring him to Egypt. It was God's will to let him gain the necessary experience for his calling. It was God's will and he used sinful men to accomplish it. So that those sinful men were not innocent. And yet God's will prevailed. Oh, here's something worth learning, friends. If you have to sit and endure me anyway, you might as well learn while you're here. The person next to you, their sin, can't keep your calling from happening. They can cut off your arms and your head and your legs and God will put them back together again. No one's sin stops your calling except your own. Do you see how dangerous it is to harbor bitterness? Harboring bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for them to die. It will not work that way. Their sin can't stop you. It'll barely slow you down. But if you fall into sin yourself, you have killed your calling until you repent. Obedience is necessary. I don't have to read you the 40th chapter. Suffice it to say that two men, Joseph interprets their dreams. One of them was a positive interpretation. We love those. I had fun Wednesday night because many people came and said, Oh, Pastor, that was a good sermon. Of course it was. I said good things about you. Come Sunday, you won't like that one as much. We all love when people like what we do for the Lord. Does it change your level of obedience if they're not going to like it? So Joseph gets the chance to give an interpretation for a dream. Oh, You'll be restored. And he gets to give an interpretation of a dream that says, King's going to cut off your head. But by the way, remember me. Speak a kind word to the king for me. Of course they forgot him. Joseph now knows what it is like to deny his flesh. Joseph knows what it's like to stand and give right judgment, whether it's well received or poorly received. Are these valuable lessons, saints? Anybody want to go to Potiphar's house or to the prison to get them? And yet there was no other way for Joseph. I wish a seminary really could produce a pastor, but it's a lie. Academic accolades and achievements have never done anything except puffed up men's egos. The truth is the only way to truly be prepared as a pastor is to have your bowstring drawn back from the calling and love the Lord anyway. To endure to live and to love, to forgive, to heal and to restore. These are the makings of a pastor. If passing a test could do it, then Caiaphas would have been an excellent pastor. Are you in Genesis 41? Of course you're not. I didn't tell you to go, but go there now. Genesis 41, verse 41. Is that okay? Y'all doing all right? You need me to end soon, don't you? You're your gluteus maximus is beginning to speak with your voice of the flesh saying, Dear God, please come to the point. It's potluck Sunday. You won't have to drive far to eat. All we have to do is move the chairs. 
Do you have just a couple minutes for me? Yes. What if those couple minutes give you something that helps you endure the next couple decades? I've only heard Larry Stockstill preach exactly two messages in all my life, but I remember every word of both messages. I don't claim to be in the same category as that great man of God, but I'll tell you this. You never know what it is that might sustain you during that dry and weary time. Might as well collect all you can get. Amen. Here comes Genesis 41, verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And men shouted before him, Make way! Oh my goodness. He had his very own forerunner to John the Baptist. Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word no one will lift hand or foot in Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonoth-Paneah and gave him Asenoth, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Let us consider what has happened to Joseph. Joseph is now 30 years old. He was 17 when this started. 13 years have passed from the time that God spoke to him to the time that he has seen his first level of visual success. But let us think about the trials that he has gone through. His flesh was tempted with a woman that was not his wife. And yet, because of the high call of God on his life, he ran away. So today... He's being given the most desirable woman in all of Egypt. Oh, friends, are you settling for internet trash when you could have a princess from God? Wow, it got quiet, didn't it? Quiet as a church mouse, the kind that clicks. Joseph passed the test and God rewarded him for it. What else has he done? He's given him the name Zophanophanea, which in the Egyptian tongue means Savior of the world. He's literally gone from the well that he was cast out to the heights of the monarchy. He is considered the Savior of the world. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. But do you know what still has not happened? He still has not seen his brothers bow down. He's not seen his mother and father. He has not gotten the fulfillment of the dream. But I bet life has improved for him. So he's 30 years old when this happens. How many years were the years of plenty? Seven. So now he's 37. And two years into the seven years of bad times, he meets his brothers. This is Genesis chapter 45. It says that there were five years left in the famine. This now makes Joseph 39. What is 39 from 17? Somebody help a preacher with his math. Two decades and two years. How far did the bowstring go back? But I bet in the end it was worth it. 
He tells his brothers, what you meant to harm me, God meant for the saving of many lives. Listen to me, saints. The devil will try to kill you. He will draw you as far away from the promise of God as you ever thought you could go. But God will use it to save lives because it will build your character. It will teach your flesh to say no. It will teach you godly wisdom, whether giving good advice or giving advice that seems damaging. He will teach you to be obedient and to persevere under all circumstances. So you sinned. Maybe you've fallen on your face. Well, now you will know what it means to say mercy triumphs over judgment. You want to find an arrogant young man? Go to 1994. They let me preach. What were they thinking? I knew I was better than everyone. I had not had enough time to find out what a failure I actually was. Oh, but fall on your face a few times. And you suddenly have mercy for those that life hadn't just the ball bounced the right way for. God's mercy is bigger than His judgment. And He will teach us that one way or another. Has He drawn you back from the promise? He's trying to build in you the character to succeed. I pray that you're not a cold, poor, timid soul that is scared to try. Let us make no mistake, friends. The starting place for all of this is a revelation from God. There's nothing to persevere in if you've never heard heaven speak. What would you persevere in? What Steve heard? What Patricia heard? What teacher heard? The living God will turn to you and say, what about you? You either have something worth building on or you do not. Do you have something in your heart that has so gripped you it compels your actions? If you don't, you do not have to be ashamed. You're still here. It's time to hear from heaven. The kingdom of God is built upon the fact that an ordinary man can hear from an extraordinary God. The living God can speak to you immeasurably better than you could have asked for or imagined. Today may be your day. Whether you've heard from God or you still need to hear from God, something will be required of you. You will have to prove faith. Everybody says that they will. Many are called, but very few are chosen. I'll start a ministry in Israel, but it doesn't happen. I will start an orphanage, but it doesn't happen. I'm called of God, and yet never get there. The devil is successful at dissuading most. This is the painful truth. But only you know whether he'll stop you. As for me and my household, I say no. Right. I might even give the H-E double hockey sticks no. <laughs> it's not happening. This man heard from God and I'm going on with it. Anybody want to go with me? Anybody heard something from the living God? Yes. Let us close with the Hebrews Faith Hall of Fame and turn with me to the 11th chapter. Luke 137 says, This is impossible with men, but all things are possible with God. I want to tell you that the most impossible word He ever spoke to you becomes possible in faith. We don't need more money. We don't need more resources. We need more faith. 
you begin to trust the living God, all things are possible. Are you in Hebrews 11? What we speak on Hebrews 11, let me quote another one for you. That way we don't have to turn there and I don't have to be a liar. You can trust me though. It's in Psalm 138, the 8th verse. God will fulfill His purpose for me. Whose purpose is it? Well, where did the revelation come from? See, did it come from man or from God? If it came from God, then it's God's purpose. Amen. Whose job is it to fulfill it? Is it mine or God's? Psalm 138 says, He will fulfill His purpose for me. It will not depend upon your technical proficiency, Joel. It won't depend on anything except your tenacious refusal to bow out, to shut up, let up, or back up. We are not among those who shrink back and are destroyed, but among those who press in and are saved. It's His revelation, it's His purpose, and His power that performs it. All you have to do is refuse to quit. Let us look at a few men who refuse to quit. Is that okay? Yeah. Hebrews 11 verse 32, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice and gained what was promised. Who wakes up one day and says, I can conquer the kingdom. I can gain what is promised. I can administer justice. You have to know, friends, that they were ordinary people just like us. They woke up and looked at their arms and said they're not big enough. They looked at their intellect and said it's not expansive enough. They looked at their own power and said it can't be done. <laughs> Nevertheless, God. This is what causes a Hebrew boy to go out and face a giant. It's what causes a miniature nation to take on the Gentile giants. And it's what causes me to wake up and face down the world every day. Aware of my failure? Yes. But there's a treasure He deposited in me. And He's depositing that same treasure in some of you. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength. Come on now, who in here has a weakness? Your weakness is God's potential strength. It's clay that His treasure can shine through. So you screwed up yesterday, today is a day to stand up right. and let the power of God be seen. Amen. It's time, church. It's time because the hour is nigh. He will return and write His name on those in whom His revelation is found. Right. Your life speaking a message. What message do you want it to speak? Stand to your feet.